Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I make my own rules, one Bonko party at a time. I write history and I read celebrities. I am JMZ. Life is a classroom, and I'm here to teach. Welcome back to Historians on Housewives. Here's part two of our exciting discussion with Adam McNeil. So I think that we're going to move into our Bonko Party game break, especially because this will hash out our favorite Bravo liberties anyway and give you a lot of space to talk about that. So today's Bonko Party game that I designed is called All-Star Matchup. I'm going to ask the three of you on our panel to individually draft your dream Real Housewives All-Stars team of six housewives. Then you will debate and persuade each other into one finalized H on H list of six all-stars. The panelist whose wish list most closely matches the final H on H selection is going to win. Okay. Mm. So uh, I'll, I'll give you guys a brief moment to jot down your top six before you uh, verbally duke it out. Now, you know, I already am going to have a question about this. <laughs> Okay. Only Real Housewives franchises? Or can I dip to, you guessed it, Basketball Wives? I think that today it has to be Real Housewives All-Stars, especially because there's been all this drama about Vicky getting yanked from All-Stars. I just find this okay endlessly delightful. Um, and, you know, we have so many franchises. So, I mean, you could even dip into Miami or D.C., you know, mm-hmm. those long gone, mm-hmm. uh, those long gone shows. Got it. Let's got start five. with our fifth spot. And I'm going to actually do my one, two, three, four, five. So I can record what we, what we end up going with. Adam, would you like to share your fifth spot? My fifth spot is going to go to Tamara Judge from the Real Housewives of Orange County. Mm. that's a volatile pick see she is kind of an ambidextrous housewife because she can go first string and second string right she Mm -hmm. can be a support Mm -hmm. indeed indeed i don't agree i don't like her but i understand (laughs) why you picked her (laughs) i mean even when she's hiding in the bushes crying it's kind of fantastic oh my god <laughs> hilarious like Just- literally <laughs> it's true jessica who oh, oh but wait 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 i will say we started doing a bunch of drives around orange county when we had our baby because he would only sleep in the car seat for a while and wow. so one day we drove by cut fitness i was just like allegedly this has to be just a money funneling scam no one is coming into this Pretty unmarked business park for Cut Fitness. <laughs> wow, it's really far out of the way. Like it is, it's not just easy to get to. Yeah. Oh no! Oh, so you're saying it's a tr- like a trek? Yeah, it seemed like she's hiding some money. 
in there. Mm. I don't know. I, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm a historian. I'm not good with finances, but we're alleging. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> Jessica, who's your five? Well, I got a little distracted because someone just sent me a text saying, we're going to Javier's in Newport tonight. Do you want to join us? And I thought, oh, that's where the housewives film. <laughs> wow. Or is that basketball wives? There's so no. many. They, yeah, they filmed Vicky, it at Javier's. Vicky and Brianna filmed at Javier's. Multiple times. Actually, one of the nights that Vicky and Brianna were filming at Javier's, my girlfriend, Laura Loper, in the thank yous, I think it was her mom and was and her were at Javier's, too, with, like, Vicky in the background filming. Hmm. Yeah, okay. it happens. You can have a housewife spotting. Okay, so here's the problem. I did a road rules list and an all-star list, so then I had to sh- change it around. Because for my all-star list, I wanted the most grimiest people possible so I could win. I mean, for the road rules list. So this is all-stars. Um... You know, this is not going to be a popular choice, but I've always loved her, and that's Adrian Maloof. I love Adrian. I know Max is looking at me crazy because you got to have Paul. You got wait, maybe I need. I was well, they're divorced. We need to have someone who has access to plastic uh, plastic surgeon. So I might also put Heather Dubro. So maybe I'm not as firm in my Adrian Maloof. I'm still standing for Adrian Maloof, Max. Yeah, I'm not thrilled about Adrian. <laughs> I'm not thrilled. I'm not thrilled about Tamara. I had to change my face quickly. I'm also not thrilled about Tamara. Not thrilled about either of these. No, the person I pick for the fifth spot is one of these, you know, the person to feed our Jordan the ball. This is who mm-hmm. I picked. Who did I think it was? Okay, okay, okay. I picked Robin from Potomac. That's going to be the If you think Adrian Maloof was boring. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't just pick all stars. I mean, Robin is somebody who will stir the pot for you. Adrian's a good... No- Actually, I think all three of our picks were good, like, like support. Like, support cast members. Okay. Yeah. Let's go to seat number four. Whoa, 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 whoa. You gotta like you guys now have to battle over the ultimate fifth. It's gonna be between Tamara, Adrian. Yeah, we don't have time for that. Let's just go. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Got. Just keep going. Okay. Why <laughs> <sighs> can't said stand it, when my rules don't get to be my rules? Well, once you said it wasn't rolled rules, I was like, I lost interest. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Of those three, oh, God, ironically, I would probably pick Adrian Maloof. Of those three, if mm-hmm. I had to pick one. Maybe we, need all fi- maybe we need all options in the five rankings, and then I'll pick the master team. Yeah, okay. fine. Yes. Okay, who's in, your, who's in the fourth, Adam? Okay, fourth is, uh, we'll go Cherie from Atlanta. Ooh. Oh, she, she by Cherie, yes. yes. Or Cherie, sorry. She by Cherie, the clothing line. That's a good pick. Yeah, yes. That was a good one. Jessica? Again, I was going, oh gosh, I don't want anyone to listen to this. <laughs> um, <sighs> as much as it hurts me, I have to say Nene. As much as it hurts me. <laughs> I feel like Adam is going to fiercely defend Nene in maybe a higher spot. I think so. I have Nini in a higher spot too. Definitely have Nini in a higher spot. Yeah. Okay. Nini, if I'm not mistaken, hey, is your hey, is your is your top Bravo lab? Well, well right? to be fair, I just made a list of five people. I didn't rank them. Now you're asking me to rank them. No, I, I'm saying I think Nini is is Adam's top Bravo liberty pick. Is this yeah, correct? Let's just go to oh, is, oh no, absolutely. Yeah. Like to me, the the. You know, I'm trying to think about the metaphor I would use here, but just to keep it straight. Nene Leaks is the most important and hilarious and memeable, like all superlative of any reality star of like I would say like the last fifteen years. Like agreed. For all the best and the worst reasons, but she is she is reality television personified. Agreed. I, I agree. That's why I had her in the number two position. I just didn't know we were ranking them, so just throw her in there and we'll re-rank later. Okay. Uh, Max, who did you have for number four? For number four? Teresa. 
Judice. Ooh. Ooh. Despite the fact that, that Teresa's behavior on this latest season of Housewives is causing a little bit of animus in our household whenever Ronj comes on on Wednesdays. Jessica has started texting us to be like, kindly let me know when you have a Ronj fight. <laughs> yeah, we have like some serious fights happening this season about Ronj. That being said, that being said, despite everything I feel about Teresa, she to me did one of the most iconic housewives moves by flipping that table to the point yep. where when people still talk about housewives 10 years after the fact. That's one of the most synonymous. It's that. Mm -hmm. It's that. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Adam, you're number See, three. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say, like, when we when we think about just, if you don't know anything about any Housewives thing ever, I would, I would pull, like, and I feel very strongly that that moment of flipping the table, like, that is the moment that someone, if they don't know the Housewives, that they might... I think they would be able to pick that out. Um, it, you know, it, it was just such to me, you know, and, and I think I remember watching that live, well, live in the sense of like when the show had just, uh, when that episode aired, I was like, oh my gosh. Like, this is real. Like, yeah. <laughs> say, but she, like that, like that was real. Right. And so to me, like that moment was just exceptional. I, I just think it was one of my favorite moments of all time in reality television history. Yeah, yeah. She couldn't fake that. And if she did fake that, like that level of anger, that would be like Straussman. What, what's that uh, acting coach's name? Straussman? Or Straussberg. Mm. The Straussberg method acting level of like flipping that. She embodied housewifedom in that moment. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Number three round. Mm -hmm. Adam. So since I've already tipped my hand to who my number one is, um, you know what? I'm actually going to say, I, and I didn't necessarily have this uh, ranked up, but I will say that Vicky from OC was actually to me one of my favorites. And I know this might not necessarily be uh, in line with uh, uh, the, the markings that we're trying to do here. But in terms of controversy, and just hilarity. She was just hilarious to me. And she was actually one of my. I like that. Yeah, I had Vicky for my. As, uh, as I was watching. You had. So you also had Vicky for your third. Jessica? Yeah. You got to have someone who's going to whoop it up. Definitely. Oh, oh, wow. oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Well, I was actually thinking about the point when she actually had a little leakage on 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 the tamar's bed right and and she That's did true. it with pride she's like i'm a woman of a certain age and <laughs> so she stands by it mm -hmm. well then i hope that you don't have ramona and vicky on the same real housewives cast because you need a lot of puppy pads everywhere oh i forgot ramona and the poop <laughs> oh no uh, max who'd you have in the third i picked bethany Bethany to me, and here's the thing, here's the deal, another housewife that, okay. like, increasingly I cannot stand her, particularly, like, after, like, her post-Rony life, I, 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 like, whenever she makes her way in the news, I usually get annoyed by whatever she's doing, um, but kind of like Vicky, like, I don't think anybody has quite done housewives mm -hmm. as well her barbs the way that she is able to dissect people despite having extremely problematic opinions about the real housewives of atlanta <laughs> right is uh yeah mm -hmm. she is uh yeah i think top five material definitely your two spot and adam I'm sorry. Well, can I can I comment real quick? Oh, yeah. go for it. Sure. So, so if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Bethany the one that Omarosa ethered on her show uh, in a in a very viral moment? A couple, when she had like a daytime television show, and uh, yes, I think you're right. That what happened? That so so if I remember correctly, um, Bethany's show was 
relatively short lived. Yes. Um, and Omarosa was on the show one one day, and ultimately, like they were going at it, like mm-hmm. really really strong. And in effect, if I remember correctly, Omarosa was like, "Your show's not going to be on for very long." you mean nothing like yeah, in a does. very typical Omarosa fashion. Mm-hmm. But in, in talking about, and I want to say, I, I, I think she said something to the tune of like, you're effectively mediocre. Um, <laughs> and, and then, you know, in the typical SpongeBob fashion, one year later, the show was gone, right? right? And so, you know, it, it was just one where, you know, talking about reality television people, when I think of Bethany, I, I actually more so now think of that moment um, that if the listeners want to go uh, go look at, they will get a laugh in, in an instant. Great point. It's true. Number two? Number two. Mm, we're going to go, we're going to go Portia. We're going to go Portia for this one because uh, talking about arcs here that, and we're, we're going to get to a particular moment a little later, but uh, we're going to go Portia Williams for this one. If I had to guess, Portia is Max's number one pick. Am I right? If you had to guess the, papers right out for you to see of course I, I, have, I have a whole wall of drinks between me and max and i never look mm-hmm. at their sheets to like peek so like i uh, this is just me assuming that he already had a slot for portia portia is the greatest housewife of all time Ooh, and I, he, you know what i gotta hear this yeah. i'm very interested and here's my rationale do you remember what she was like when she was first on the show? When she had to ask her husband for permission to go outside. Yep. Goodness she gracious. She wow. dressed a yeah. particular way. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was the doting wife. All those things and more. Mm-hmm. Right? Like she almost did not come back her first season. And like. She net- didn't mm-hmm. exist in her own. Yeah. She didn't have her own. I mean, yeah, she, yeah, she didn't definitely. even own being Hosea Williams's daughter. You would look at um, granddaughter. You'd look at her and say, huh, really? Underground, <laughs> Underground Railroad. I mean, we're going to talk side. about it later, but like. I am going to agree line. with you. Yeah. I'm going to, I would put Portia one or two. Yeah. And now she Agreed. is, she has the kind of career as a housewife with fans that all the other housewives wish, wish they had. Right. To the point, like people are fans of her as a person, mm-hmm. um, like transcending housewives i think you know the thing about portia is and i could be wrong but portia you guys are all you're all going to correct me on this and say you're so wrong and how you said this my my memory might be short but portia isn't as nasty as some of the other women and you all are going to say what what are you talking about i mean i don't agree with the the candy uh drugging rape however that story went down because i listen adam we haven't talked about ti and tiny that gives a whole new perspective to some of the things that are going mm-hmm. on she might not have been lying mm-hmm. when she said that allegedly allegedly <laughs> uh, allegedly i'm gonna yep. agree with portia i'll agree with portia all right for one or two where was your what was your number two again i have so many lists now um <laughs> My number two <laughs> for this particular list was going to be Teresa. Oh, wow. Yep, yep. I could definitely see that. It, it, it's hard. And I picked Nene for number two. Okay, so... Nene for number two? Okay. And Jessica, what was your number one? In this particular list, I thought I was going to have to put Heather of Salt Lake City somewhere, but she just can't... She can't hold a candle to some of these women. I would have to move my ranking now that I understand how the game is played. You know who would? I Mary you. Cosby. Yes. Could you imagine the diabolical hallucinations <laughs> and religiations? <laughs> Goodness. Uh, let's put Mary Cosby. That's actually not who I was going to put. I put Nini as first now that I realized the list were on. So I completely screwed up the order. Um, because I had Nini as my bottom one too. I didn't realize we were ranking. Um, basically, Adam, here's how these games go. If you haven't listened to the show, I cheat 
and <laughs> and Casey gets unnerved and then later yeah Max and Jessica spend the entire game trying to change my game <laughs> can I just tell you my five and then do what you want with them yeah Nini Trey Vicky Bethany Portia and sometimes seems- Sonia sometimes Sonia because it's the Morgan letters for me yeah Sonia and I can't teach my class in 19th century Robin Barons without Sonia. <laughs> For me, it's the Morgan letters and the toaster. Well, there seems to be some agreement. Casey about... hates my list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine the, the looks uh, that, that are being had right now. There's a lot of pursed lips coming from uh, Casey. Well, so as I go to re-rank, <laughs> I see that I am not willing to put Vicky and Tamara on the same Real Housewives All-Star five-string <laughs> cast. Such an autocrat. Uh, okay, okay. But then I'm like, oh, would I go Bethany Tamara? Actually, that's what I think hmm. I'm going to do. I'm... So the official H on H list after I've heard closing arguments. Casey cheats too. She just is able to say that she's the list maker and the rule maker. Yeah. <laughs> she's dungeon master. <laughs> Orchestrating it all. I love to see it. She is flabbergasted. Continue, Casey. <sighs> I feel so unappreciated. Okay. Uh, our top seed, Portia Williams. Second seed. Teresa Judice or Judici, however she wants to say it this year. Uh, and number three, we're going to have Bethany. Number four, we're going to have mm-hmm. Nini. And in number five slot, we are going to have Tamara. Wait, what happened to Portia? Portia's in number one slot. She's oh, yeah. One. Okay, 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 okay. Sorry. So this is going to be, the, that, that is the H on H all-star list as comprised by the panel with my generous... Uh, tie breaking. Uh, so Portia, <laughs> Portia, Teresa, Bethany, Nini, and Tamara. I feel like that would be an explosive weekend house. Is this a tweet? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So congratulations. We're all winners, especially me. I <laughs> 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 love it. Jessica, you want to lead us back into the interview? I will so lead us back into the interview. Um. (laughs) Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
<laughs> so, Adam, we've talked about how um, important your dissertation topic is. You know, um, as you were talking earlier, I was thinking about my moment at the Omahundro when I met the only two other people working on early America who were black, and it happened to be Omahundro, Scotland. I think the year was 2002. I met Christopher Brown and the now deceased uh, Dr. T.K. Hunter. And for a long mm-hmm. time, we were the only three. And then, then eventually, I met Erica Dunbar, et cetera, et cetera. And and you know, there's a few more trinkling in, as you know yourself, uh, mm-hmm. one being included. So your topic is so important. I want to talk about the black woman loyalists. So can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about how you ended up there? Where do you plan to do research once archives open up again? Bring us into your research world. Yeah, no, thank thank you so much for for the love. Like it, it it means a lot, you know. Um the the scholars that you cited are, you know, tremendous and and their work is awesome along with yours of course. Um and so for me, how I how I really came to um Black Loyalist Women um was primarily actually through just trying to think about the the American Revolution and also thinking about for me, as someone who has worked at national park sites throughout the country, um, pretty much since 2012 to 2013, I've had a chance to to see a lot about the United States' history and uh, and 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 also um, discuss it with folks from around the country and around the world. Um, I worked at Faneuil Hall um, or worked in Faneuil Hall in Boston um, for for a summer or actually for nine months actually. Uh, when I was living in Boston. So, you know, to me, when I think about the country's story, there's not a, as much written about those who tried to, you know, in a way you can imagine saying against the United States' founding, um, you know, and folks who are specifically, um, who sided with the British, right? Because I think the other part is, right, do you want to do like uh, uppercase or lower, lowercase loyalists in the sense Mm-hmm. When people ran to, if, if people knew the knowledge, right? We were talking, just talking about Rahasas of Potomac, right? And you think about the Chesapeake, you think about, um, you know, Annapolis, right? Where a lot of your work obviously is. And look at the Eastern Shore. Folks, you know, I, I, I think I had a conversation with Marcus uh, uh, Rediger about this. And he was like, hey, man, you know, be wary of just uh, ascribing loyalism to people that were just trying to get free and saw the best opportunity through the British and, and, the, and the actual numbers uh, game shows that, right? And that's the work of uh, uh, Cassandra Pibus uh, with her uh, book, uh, Epic Journeys of Freedom, that Beacon published uh, back, I think it was like in 06. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that book was foundational. Was that, actually, I remember when I did the, uh, the, the Students' Day, the Accepted Students' Day at Rutgers, uh, that I think that was the that was the book that Dr. Dunbar actually suggested for me to read, um, and it's it's really been an important book. But uh, w- one of the things that I think about that book, it's it's a great book, but in effect, she's attributing, Pibus is effectively attributing black ideas about liberty and loyalism, or liberty and um, and freedom, and and weaving it directly through the American Revolution as opposed to thinking, well, what ideas did they already have, right? And, and to even connect with, you know, um, Vince Brown's book, you know, what are some of the African ideas uh, that, mm-hmm. that, they, that they brought over, right? And so for me, that was really the entry point to kind of thinking about, okay, there's this important book about Black loyalists, but in particular, what about Black loyalist women? And that takes me to Woody Holden's book, uh, Force Founders, where he said in Dunmore's, uh, in Dunmore's camp, um, about half of the folks were women and children. So my question is, when we think about military service and who gets to consider themselves service members, where, where, are, where are women's lives within that, right? What are gendered forms of, of service that were still important, but also were just as dangerous, right? And so for me, that is really, those are the multiple entry points that I've had with the project. And in particular, my work is looking at the Mid-Atlantic. Right. So, so, and, and I think about mid Atlantic broadly conceived as effectively from the Delaware Valley all the way down to um, the Chesapeake Bay, which obviously goes down into 
uh, Maryland, and, and also Virginia. And so for me, it was between the American Revolution and the War of 1812 mm-hmm. that the Mid-Atlantic was beaming, right? And, and I've, been, I've been reading uh, Gerald Horn's uh, Negro Comrades of the Crown, where he's saying that, you know, the, the strongest African um, fight against the United States came in the Mid-Atlantic during the War of 1812 period. And so to me, that Mid-Atlantic space is so important um, to our understanding of people who, like, you know, Black loyalist women, you know, upper and lowercase L, that they were warring against the state. Yeah. Right? They are warring against the founding of these this country. And I hadn't really seen much in the literature that we're specifically looking at the the specific ways in which, uh, you know, we think about mobility and knowledge production. What knowledge did did, um, black women have in terms of their ability to circumnavigate the many waterways of, of the mid Atlantic. So the Chesapeake, Delaware Valley, Um, what environmental ecological geographic knowledges did they have that helped them along with, you know, their black male counterparts, you know, take families to freedom. And so to me, that, that really animates my project, right? Ultimately, how did enslaved women war upon the state? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that it's just so foundational looking at the work that you're doing, that, uh, that uh, uh, Annette Gordon-Reed is doing, Dr. Dunbar is doing. And so for me, it's fantastic being in the space with so many folks doing the work. Um, and, and I'm just looking to, to build on your work and specifically look at these questions within the frame of, uh, the revolutionary era, uh, because you have so many things happening, right? You have the, the, the conspiracies in Virginia in the first couple years of the, of the 19th century, you know, that, you know, obviously we can talk about, uh, the Nat Turner's war, but thank God for folks like Dr. Vanessa Holden's book, you know, mm-hmm. surviving Southampton, which is going to blow everybody's mind it's forthcoming. Um, I believe next month. Uh, so for me, you know, ultimately black loyalist women uh, are able to take their experiences during the American revolution and kind of see where they're going to go. Right. So they're going to Nova Scotia. They're going to London. They're going to Sierra Leone. They're going to Trinidad. They're going to the Bahamas. And so to me, when I think about my pedagogy and what I want my students to learn, I want them to think about, the different ways that folks fought and resisted, but also the different ways that they lived, right? Mm-hmm. And thinking about why did someone choose to side in a way when there were other choices? Right. In particular, you look at the Battle of the Yorktown, where, um, where you had black male soldiers from, I believe it was the 1st Rhode Island Regiment, which was you know, effectively uh, created with um, um, uh, emancipated uh, black male slave um, labor, uh, service labor, and they're going down to Yorktown, right? But here's the thing: they're also meeting black loyalists in that in that space too. So, a question that, and this is in a piece for a separate uh, chapter that I'm writing for for another publication. I dramatize like, what did they think in that moment? Right. And this is a question of, of the question of, are you black? Are you African American? And the, the kind of ways that people develop belonging in that moment, when you're seeing black women and children dying from smallpox, mm-hmm. right. Yellow fever, what, what have you, do you see a comrade or do you see an adversary? Right. Right. Because your job is to kill, right? And also to stay alive, right? And so, so to tr- really problematize our understanding of, of choice and to also think about black women as political strategists, mm-hmm. right? It's a political strategy that Phyllis Wheelie ultimately writes that letter, uh, that poem to George Washington. Yes, it is. Right? It's not, it, yes, it's a poem, but there's more. There is so much more that we can unpack. I'm being really right? measured. What I really want to be like is, yes, 
Say it. <laughs> right. And so Hello. I just think that the Hey, amen. Amen. From 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 all Zion. And so I think that for for me, I just think about ultimately my project being in service to not only, you know, my students and, and also to, to also get this degree. Um, but also to help us to better understand how knowledge is created. Mm-hmm. Because this is not only a social history, but it's also I would hope an intellectual history to say who are the foremothers of Harriet Tubman, also from the Mid-Atlantic, yes. mm-hmm. on a judge, right, mm-hmm. who is born in the 1770s, mm-hmm. right? And so just thinking about who are the precursors. And, and so for me, I'm just super duper excited and um, a, a long way to get to the archives. And I hope that I can get to, um, I can get to uh, the UK um, and do, to go to the Q, um, because I'm also interested in, um, you know, and I think it's also in this political moment uh, when we think about refugees, right? What do we call it? Like, do we call these folks refugees, right? I think, you know, scholars have, but I'm just generally thinking about land and space and also, right, especially, you know, you're going to Canada, you're also thinking about indigenous lands. And so I think that there's so many different ways I'm thinking about my work that makes me just super, super excited to go to the UK, hopefully, once everything is over. And if not, that's okay, too. Um, but also to travel to Trinidad, um, because some of the, the you know, there's a, um, there's a African, well, I guess the African-American descendant community uh, down there. And um, I moderated um, Dr. Zavolia Glimpse's um, roundtable at the African-American Intellectual History Society's recent conference. And she said that she doesn't write about places that she doesn't go to. Um, and to take that kind of perspective and going down to Trinidad, but also me moving to Philadelphia is also strategic because we don't know what's going to happen next. But I do know um, Philadelphia is right there. My advisor helped to create the program in African American history and endowed that thing. So God willing, I get one of those or the McNeil Center, Davis Center. Um, I'm right. I don't got to look. I don't got to live uh, nowhere but my house. Thank God. Um, and so you got that and you got the historic, uh, historical society of PA. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just excited um, to think about, you know, the ways in which enslaved women uh, or unfree women, um, you know, resisted even indenture at different times too. And also, um, you know, the Carson state in a way you can almost look at Philadelphia as the, the foundations of it. Um, as well. And so I think that there, there's so much work to be done that I'm just excited about. And Philadelphia has so much library company and Davis centers now moved from Washington Cross into the American Philosophical Society. So I'm just super duper excited about the work and to, to, to build on your work, Dr. Miller too. So I'll be, I'll be mining your footnotes and your book is right behind me. So I'll be, I'll be coping, I'll be uh, scoping those footnotes. Um, and uh, and so yeah, I'm just super duper excited about the work, and uh, and and to be in conversation with y'all to to think through this as well. I'd also have a living archive for me to go back to just in case I forget something. So <laughs> you write ab- about bleh. so you write about fugitives from slavery, and you had mentioned to us that Portia you. <laughs> 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 you got it you got it you got yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i need talk um do you write about fugitives from slavery and you'd mentioned you know about portia williams is now infamous underground railroad fiasco comment in uh savannah georgia from i think it was season six episode eight um yeah Talk to us a little bit about how this moment ties into your research. Whew. Yeah, this this is this is it. So that moment for those who don't know, um, I believe it was around 2012, 2013 when that happened. And that moment was, you know, so 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 the little history of Savannah, um, one of the earliest, if not the oldest, uh black church. Uh, formal communities um, 
uh, Black Baptist community down there um, was founded around the time of the American Revolution. And I think that it's actually important to also say that like folks like David George and, and other folks, um, George uh, Liel um, as well, who were important figures in the, in the Black community down there um, that helped to, I believe, found that particular church community. Right. You know, so black folks have very much been in the history of Savannah. But I think the other, the other thing that was interesting about that moment, too, was just thinking about for Portia, how at first I was kind of like, bro, how like, really? Did you really think that, you know, uh, ultimately enslaved people were going, you know, uh, uh, above ground? Right. And the actual railroad of you know, uh, future slaves. I'm like, hold on, bro. Like that. This is this is not. But but then I, you know, look at back on. I'm like, as a, as a teacher and and as a student of fugitivity uh, and enslaved people um, engaged in. I'm like, how many other people are like her, right? To kind of use it as a teaching pe- tool, right? A so lot, when lot. people think about the a lot, a lot, right? Mm-hmm. The Underground Railroad. A lot of times, people think that it was like literally like. Un, like, like sometimes it's above ground of like there's an actual literal railroad of black folks and white folks like along like what is effectively the I nine five corridor. Um, no, but also like the underground railroad is more of a metaphor. Like it's a it's a euphemism. It's not a real thing. Like like it was a network, of course. But there's a way in which a lot of people think, and also as someone who has worked in historic sites that ever. Everybody, not everybody, everybody, everybody. want to say, everybody want to say we are connected to fugitives. Like there, there was an enslaved person here. They were running away. And this is I'm like, come on, man. I attribute the Underground Railroad kind of like the Civil Rights Movement. Everybody said that they was there, but very few people were actually in the trenches. Mm. Mm. Right. They wasn't which two shooting in the gym. And so um, I just think that that moment was, you know, famous, but also infamous because. You know, people, I think also when we think about the backlash, going back to who her grandfather is, right? Hosea Williams. So, so you would think that a, a black historical, uh, someone who is in line with a particular black historical figure, that you would just know history like that. But I, then I also think that it's almost in a way saying like, like as being a black, one, as being a kid who's been the sole black kid in a class, where when slavery comes up in a class, everybody's head, all 30 of them people looking back at your ass like, so is you going to teach us? I'm like, you, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> I, like, like, like what, am, like what kind of, can, you, like, can my black ass tell you, you know what I'm saying? Like to keep it, keep it a buck. And so I actually think in a way, looking back it is an infamous moment, no matter what it is hilarious. It is on live film and right. But and I also genuine. think too, and it's genuine, right? And and that's why I think that's why looking back, I do cut her some slack because I've encountered enough people in my life doing public historical interpretation and also teaching students. And and I, and when I say students, I mean in the most capacious sense of like we're not just talking about eighteen to twenty four year olds. We're talking about I see anyone who I'm teaching in in, in front of me as a potential student. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are many Portia Williams. And also, if I'm not mistaken, this is also around the time of Raymond Simone saying that I'm like my my DNA is from everywhere in Africa, but one like country or something, you something like so that. You are so correct like, so, so these, in your history knowledge, in your black black history knowledge. Yes, that is exactly like, what like it these was. things are all happening around the same time. So it's kind of like a particular cultural moment of not only I, I don't I, I don't know. Sometimes people you know say often you know the fans of the public, but I also think if the system's not exactly meant for you to do something, can we really just pour all the blame on them and that if it was never even supposed to be that? That's another conversation for another time. But <laughs> suffice to say to me, this Portia Williams moment was was hilarious, but I think it's also a way to kind of think about black folks. Just because you're black doesn't mean you know all about black history, mm-hmm. which also would, then is the rejoinder to people who say, Oh, so you're just learning about yourself? Well, technically, but if you dumb it down like that, then you know well, then why, why do you have about the white folks well, teaching yeah, what, what is American history? What, European history, like like to me, like it's just it it to me 
this moment with Portia is actually more of an invitation to have a greater conversation about history and what people learn and also how some of these same people that were chastising her, <laughs> I bet you if we talk about some things, we can be like, oh, yeah, we, we going to catch you in a fallacy too, player. Oh, don't um, even get me started. When we were at BravoCon, the Kenya Moore said... Uh, that she said, gone. I chastised both her and Portia for their for, for their inappropriate references, their inappropriate and wrong references to slavery. And uh, Kenya Moore was like, <sighs> "No, mm. I was referencing Hattie McDaniel because da, 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 da. Gone with the Wind, fabulous. No, Gone with the Wind was not fabulous. That was mm-hmm. not what was fabulous. So anyway, she chastised me. It brought down the crowd, and I was still at the mic. You know, I won't be doubted. No, that's actually not what I was saying." <laughs> <laughs> and Max and the producer said, sit down, please. Um, can, we, can we build on, because we also want to be respectful of your time, can we build a few more connections between the housewives, the real housewives, and your emphasis on black women's understanding of freedom and liberty in the revolutionary era? So in particular, do we, do you or do we see remnants of, of this in various ways on Bravo? So let's bring the mm. reality TV and the revolutionary era, to get, era, era together. Hmm. Hmm. That's a, ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a heavy thing right there. Okay. So I think that what we have to understand is, and, and it's actually interesting because I also think about this sometimes in the connection of the things that keep things going, but don't often get all the credit. Mm-hmm. So if we think about the housewives as a franchise, right? Not just the individual um, locations, but look at them within a cacophony, right? Within a particular like space to say, what shows are around that keep the opportunities going for uh, for the other franchises to even come to be, right? And that's what, how I think about Atlanta's importance right? Along Mm -hmm. with Potomac as well, right? So obviously we've talked about, you know, OC, we've talked about New York, we've talked about New Jersey, you know, uh, Salt Lake City, uh, Salt Lake is, you know, I think one of, if not the most recent um, of the franchises. But at the base, right? The shows with black women in it are the ones that bring the eyes, that bring the controversy, and bring the money. Because at the end of the day, this is television that needs dollars. They need people being stupidly controversial like Andy Cohen at times um, to be able to be in the space with these uh, with often uh, these women. So to me, that's actually a way for me to think about the revolution in a way because the foundational, like, when we think about, maybe not in the same way that that black folks were foundational to the United States winning the war, the union winning the war in the civil war. We cannot say that on both sides of, of the conversation as loyalists and as, as um, supposed patriots, that black contributions and black, and specifically in this way, as I know, bring this and bring it here, us here, black women's contributions were also essential to both war efforts. And I think that for my work, Part of the reason why I'm also, I also chose, um, I didn't mention this part, part of the reason why I wanted to get loyalist women was because they were on the supposed losing side. Mm-hmm. But supposed. Lose, like, losing, right? Right, right. Lo- lo- like, and, and you can't see me, but like the scare course, the losing side is also like, that is also subjective. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so for me, I think when we, when we talk about the foundational nature to the war, black people and black women were also foundational to both ideological perspectives. Hey, say now it. this is good. Say now it. this is also going to go and get into some murky waters because I know 1619, 1619 project in particular be making people foam at the mouth to mm-hmm. try to come at, you know, a lot of people specifically Nicole, uh, Nicole Hannah Jones. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yes, there are some controversies with the project in terms of cause, cause, causality and all that. But let me tell you, at the bare base, you know, I've been reading the same, you know, let me get Buck right quick. Dr. John Barr, please, let me stop. Let me not go there. Uh, look, at the base of it now, 
if you read Sylvia Frey's Water from the Rock, mm-hmm. if you read um, Force Founders from uh, uh, Woody Holt, mm-hmm. these white academics in 1991 and in 1999 have effectively said that slavery was a, or the, the, the question of slavery's um, continuance was within the calculus of a influential block of founding fathers and people of the United States. Mm-hmm. And Period. Gerald and Gerald Horn's book. Uh, and Gerald Horn, yeah, right? Counter-revolution. But, exactly. Which the World Socialist website has, uh, what, uh, seven years later, uh, had some tipples, you know, had some problems with, right? Funny enough. Yes, yeah, suddenly. But I think that, I, right, but, but, I, but also I brought up Frey and... Um, I brought up Frey and Holton in particular because, right, they may not go as far as to say that slavery was the central, the central thing. If they're saying that slavery is a part of the calculus, that it was important and foundational to the founding of the United States, notwithstanding Jefferson's own chastisement for, mm-hmm. for inciting insurrections, um, where's the smoke for them? You know what I'm saying? So, so I think that ultimately when we think about the question of slavery and the question of the importance of black people and black women to, to, to bring it there, I think that we have to have a stronger conversation and also to take it even further to say that black folks and black women have been at the forefront of, of, of anti-state action right anti-state in the sense of like if you are working at a public work site because you're publicly owned by the commonwealth of virginia mm-hmm. and you are you know using the the the, the camping the the, uh, the the camp notion of everyday resistance you i think it wouldn't be far to say that you are also someone who is enacting anti-state action because you're ultimately owned by the state right if the if the state is predicated on the actual reproduction of what goes through your body and the production um right jennifer camp jennifer camp jennifer morgan (laughs) alongside camp oh four i told you right so anything you do (laughs) anything you do that that is uh discursive that is resistance that is radical can be anti-state. I mean, I think that the U- U.S. founding, since the founding of the U.S. slaves economy is so central to the U- to the U.S. in particular, it was actually black women's bodies that actually then determines how we render independence, how we render freedom, simply by its proximity or lack of proximity to what blackness is. And so, sorry, I got carried away in a nerd moment. Um, <laughs> no, no, sorry. you, you, I got you carried sing. away. You I got back. carried away. So, Adam, Adam, this has been wonderful. Tell us what is next for you, and what do you want people to know more about your upcoming work, and how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? No, this, look, this has just been. I just want to tell y'all, thank you for you know this fun. Like, let me tell you, like, the amount of joy, you know, I, sometimes things are, um, sometimes, especially in the Zoom world, you have things that that make withdrawals out of you, and there are some things that make deposits in you. This is, y'all dropping a couple thousand in, 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 in the deposit thing right now. I love so I, I'm, I'm feeling good. I love I'm feeling this. good. I, I can't wait this, for this future is great. projects, future collaborations. I just got to put it out there. I love yes, this. Yes, yes. Speaking into your existence, energy. and it you, shall come. You will be a repeat. We have a few repeat uh, uh, Bravo Demics on the street that we like to invite back from time to time. Yeah, this, this was wonderful. Um, no, nah, th- this is this is home. Uh, but but to, to, to your question, um, yeah, in particular, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I had to rep yourself. Right. <laughs> look, look self promotion ain't a problem for this brother. Uh, but but for me, like I'm like y'all mentioned before, I have the audio fellowship. So um, you're going to be hearing uh, Dr. Millward along with many other um, historians and scholars. 
of um, of, uh, of early uh, African America um, as well. Um, so, you know, I'm actually interviewing. Um, I'm actually interviewing Dr. Catherine Benjamin Golden um, mm-hmm. for her new article from uh, the Journal of African American History. So, with a new books and FM, um, typically, you know, we interview people about their books. But I, I, I've I've tried to change things up a little bit, bring some innovation because not everybody can get to the books, right? And sometimes I'm, you know, I'm very specific with what I can read, and so I think that is fun to get a, a, a recent scholar, uh, Dr. Golden. Um, she actually uh, completed her PhD um, in African diaspora studies at UC Berkeley in 2018, okay. and so she's a recent scholar. She's at the University of Delaware, and so for me getting to talk to her about her article would be a fun way to kind of think about, okay, we don't always got to interview people about books. Uh, People who are writing articles are making real interventions in the field too. And so it'll be a way to talk about her um, journey to the project, talk about the Great Dismal Swamp um, and Marinage Mm -hmm. in uh, the late, um, in the late 18th or early uh, 19th century. Uh, And also, you know, it is a way for me to kind of, you know, be able to talk with someone uh, with, uh, t- talk through some things too so you know there's a little strategy in that too uh, but also it's a way for me to kind of think about the work uh, more capaciously uh, but also um, in addition to that like, like I mentioned before I, I defend my, my um, dissertation proposal in June um, and so I'm excited about that and um, it, <laughs> yeah I uh, appreciate that and so I'm just excited because um, as y'all got to hear today, uh, I'm super duper excited about this project. I'm super duper excited to learn about these radical black women out here doing this work, uh, because it's also a way to think of, uh, about in the, in the broad sense of black radical women, um, and, and fighting against the state. And I'm also excited to, to, to talk about teaching, um, as well. And, um, so yeah, the dissertation is going to get done. Um, some people asking how long. I might like, ask God, ask Dr. Number. I don't know, uh, but hopefully it'll get done soon um, in the next couple of years. And so um, in addition to that, um, I'm actually, I'm gonna, and I can let y'all know this. So my, um, I have a cousin, um, she got her PhD in English from uh, Middle Tennessee State University in 1983. She wrote her dissertation on um, our uh, ancestor. His name is uh, John Williams Jacobs, born July of uh, 1950 or 1852 died um, in 18 or 1925 rather. And so he was pretty much like the, the, the major patriarch of our family. And so my 100th episode is actually going to be interviewing her about the importance of that document to our family. Um, so that'll be actually be the, the way that I commemorate my 100th episode by taking it to a family, a family member who has illuminated um, the understanding of our own family in, in uh, Southeast North Carolina. In, uh, in Columbus County um, in particular, which is near uh, Wilmington, for those who don't know. Um, so for me, it's just fun work. I, I serve as the National Social Media Director of the Association of Black Women's Historians. So for me, that is fun. My job, y'all, y'all can tell from this, I love, hype, I love hyping people up about their work and about other people's work. So it's literally my job to say, <laughs> congratulations, you have won this or all that kind of stuff. And the great part, about doing this for ABWH, you dang near getting something new coming through every day, if not every week. So the, the job is easy because there's always something to talk about. Um, and so I appreciate talk. I appreciate talking with y'all today. Talking about how so I was talking about reality television and talking about why historians need to just stop capping and act like they don't love reality television. You can't be like there, there are parallels here always. How can you be a historian you not find reality television? Being a historian Look. is literally looking at reality, quote unquote, television across time and space. Come on now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Adam, we Absolutely. Have, Adam, did you give people your email address? Or Oh, yes, yes, please. Um, if y'all want to follow up, talk with me more, uh, email me at AXM and the number three at history.rutgers.edu. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it is at cultured modesty one word. And on Instagram, McNeil's memes and books. 
and, and I say N because it's literally N. Um, so reach out, and I'd love to uh, chat with y'all as well and follow up. And uh, based upon what my amazing colleagues just mentioned, this ain't the last time. It's just going to be the first time. <laughs> Looking forward to talking with y'all more. Yeah, us too. All right. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank All right, you take so care much. Now. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. As always, you can find us at historiansonhousewives.com, where you can propose your own episode topic, ask us questions, and send us feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at historiansh. And don't forget that you can like and review the podcast on your podcast platform. Thank you, Adam McNeil. This show is brought to you with the support by Barbara and Mark Spear, Saddleback Community College, Molly Callahan, Dr. Joaquin Galarza, Courtney Crow, Lara Loper, Luis Asio de Dios, the Ajipon Foundation. And remember, scholars do bravo too. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.